Welcome back to another episode of Crossing Broadcast. I am your host, Kyle Pagan. Kevin Kincaid is off this week. He is feeding the hungry in Boyertown, Pennsylvania. I am now joined this week, and we'll see how the numbers go when I introduce this fella coming in. And I think it'll I think it'll increase because he's built up quite a show. He's built up this YouTube channel by himself and with uh, another man who breaks a lot of news and then takes organizations to task. I am joined by Rush Joy. All right, let me uh, the, let me do this. The numbers the let numbers me, immediately plummeted down 5. That's exactly right. Hold on, let me uh let me let me channel a little Kincaid for you. I don't have an Emmy here, but uh So Kyle, um <laughs> Philadelphia sports. Does anybody really care? Does anybody do you, care? Do, do you know what's going uh, on with the latest Mike Missinelli news? I heard he has uh, an interesting, has, very uh, new show coming out today. The great, I, I heard, I, I did hear, it's called The Greatest Show Ever! Exclamation point. We don't have a question mark. Mm. Google him. Google him. Okay. All right. What do you think well, it is going to be? It's going to be a it's not a show, show on the Crossing Broad podcast, podcast Network. It's we going can... to be a cooking show podcast, but you know what it's really going to be? It's going to be um, Rob Ellis just tweeted out the rundown to their show. Big channel mm. announcement. So I think it's going I think he's going to be the outright outright leader in YouTube. What's that? Jacob Media? Jacob Media. Yeah. So he'll probably be joining the Sports Take crew if I had to guess anything. Um Today, we're joined by, and we'll see where the numbers go after this, because we want to talk about the Phillies, Kyle Schwarber getting mm-hmm. robbed, or did he? Albert Pujols potentially uh, rigging it. That Was it 12 home runs in the first round? Was it 13 home runs in the first round? Let's bring on our guest, Bob Wankel. Bob, hey. We're down to zero. Yes. No, no, no. It is immediately shot oh, up 10. stud muffin. We bottomed out. shot up 10. Bob, you look pretty tan, man. Rush, you look pretty tan. Were you guys anywhere last weekend? Last week? Yeah, I spent the spent the week in the, the Outer Banks, drinking, wow. drinking some beers, laying on the beach, doing nothing. So we're back. Rush, what did you do last week? You know, I I was also in the Outer Banks. I was not drinking <laughs> beer. I did drink some margaritas on my last uh, my last night. Had a couple margs, but uh, being on vacation with three kids and a pregnant wife, not. Not exactly the same experience that uh, Big Bed Bob over there had. Was this a crossing broad retreat I I wasn't no, invited to? It was totally, totally mm-hmm. random. Totally random. Totally, totally con- uh, just circumstantial. No idea. Russ tried to hang out a few times. I, I blew him off. Whoa. Oh. I sent him, I sent him a picture and I was like, uh, if you're around, you let me know. Uh, he said that at some point he thought there was a chance that there might be uh, – a little bit of tension. This was going in. It didn't happen while mm-hmm. they were there, but like he might need a, a bailout at some point. So, as always, Rusty Page views is there to bail out Big Bad Bob in case he needs him. But it's a one-way relationship. No contact was, uh, was made. I was I was fourteen beers in by five o'clock every single day. So there was there was no leaving the compound at that point. Yeah, you seem like you went with a a big group of friends. Russ went with his family. Russ was also at this uh, this coffee shop. Can you explain to the people the coffee shop that you visited in North Carolina by any chance? Oh, you're talking about biscuits and porn. Biscuits so and porn. So it's not a coffee shop. Yeah, it's not a not a coffee shop. It's a gas station, and they have delightful chicken biscuits. I don't know who's in the control room today, but you should pull up biscuits and porn. Don't Google that. Look up the store. Um, but amazing chicken biscuits. Uh, last year, 
we were driving from Kill Devil Hills down to the where the Bodie Island Lighthouse is. And I thought I saw a sign that said biscuits and porn. I'm like, that, that can't be. That can't be a real thing. So on the way back up, I, I like slow down. I'm like, that does say biscuits and porn. So I joke to my wife, like, hey, why don't we go in and, and try the biscuits? She's like, we're not going in right now. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I joked. So then one day it's raining and she goes, why don't you go get chicken biscuits? And I was like, where am I going to go get them? She goes, go to Biscuits and Porn. I said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll go check it out <laughs> for research purposes, as you said in your article uh, earlier today there, uh, Kyle. But I went in, uh, I went straight to the food line, <laughs> and uh, I also found a uh, tie-dye t-shirt, which if I had known that we were going to bring this up, I would have pulled it out of the dresser. Tie-dye shirt, which I thought would be funny to wear, you know, as PJs, but uh, my seven-year-old can read, and my five-year-old can read. And so I don't want to have to explain to them what biscuits are. So uh, there's that. I'm surprised the I'm surprised the education up in Pottsville is, is good where kids can read by five and seven. But you know, um, so people can find that in Outer Banks. And did you navigate? Did you find your way? Maybe you know, waiting for your order for your biscuits. You got you know, 17 kids. So I know you have to wait for long orders. Did you did you peruse over to the other side? The- so last time I, I tweeted this out and somebody was like, what's the porn selection like? And I said, I, I honestly don't know. I went straight for the biscuits. This time the line was wrapped around the whole store. So I said, all right, for the purposes of Twitter, I'm going to check and see what the, uh, the offerings are. Research I didn't see any. Yeah. I saw Nary a magazine. I saw merchandise. So not, I saw I snacks. I saw this. drinks. Did we you went go in, Bob? Friday. Yeah, we, we checked it out on Friday. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, it's it's almost like a 7-Eleven. And it, you wouldn't exactly. notice it. It's a gas station. You walk in. There's a little counter there. In the one aisle by the window, there are some magazines. And, I mean, I feel like it was like walking into a time machine. It was yeah. like getting into a DeLorean and seeing your father's collection from, like, 1992. It was like one rack, heavy on biscuits, little on porn. Heavy on Hustler, heavy on Penthouse, Playboy. Yeah. It's not even really walking into a time machine anymore because Playboy doesn't even go fully nude. So, I mean, your father, your grandfather would be rolling over in his grave. That's funny that you actually went to Biscuits and It's porn. actually, if like you Google like uh, Moscow restaurants and Outer Banks, it, it pops up. Like, it, it's actually a really popular spot. It's not like this you know, like, it's, tattoo. Like, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a big deal down there. You know what's really great about it, too, is Bob said he went there on Friday. And you know who else was there last Friday? Yours truly. Yeah. So we somehow missed each mm. other. The entire time. I think Bob saw my tweet. By the way, somebody got really upset because I quote tweeted my tweet from last year and gas was two ninety nine a year ago. So we had a lot started a little bit of fighting on on the Twitter about Well, uh, with our with our readers, they can make anything political. How were the biscuits before we get off this topic? Solid, very good. What'd you get, Bob? What'd you get? How was the porn, Bob? I just went sausage. I went sausage on a cheddar biscuit. It was very good. Of course you did. You got the cheddar biscuit. That's a good call. Yeah, they also have ham, by the way, which I think makes biscuits and porn better than uh, Dunkin' Donuts, which outlawed ham last year. Very upsetting. Do they, have ta- do they have Taylor ham, pork roll, whatever you call it? Not down there. No. Not that you no. saw? All right, well, Chicken I will. No. Sausage. If you, if you hear that off in the distance, that's Kyle Scott yelling. They drove seven hours to go to a beach when they could have just gone to Jersey, and they didn't get any pork roll anyway. Or porn. So we can have a conversation <laughs> for another uh, time. But – uh Bobby, we brought you on. We want to talk Phillies. We brought you on. I mean, it's going to be a very boring conversation until Kyle Schwarber actually got hosed yesterday. Where I've been zapruding the film, okay, and I think this might not be on ESPN and who's ever handling the counter more 
as it is on Carl Ravitch and the broadcast. Um, I, I, I like Carl Ravitch. Baseball Tonight grew up with it. I think he always does a good job. He is not a guy going from Boomer to going to Carl Ravitch. He's just not the guy for the home run derby anymore. Eduardo Perez is not the guy for the home run derby. They were announcing it like it was a, like it was a little league home run derby. It was it was bad. It had no pizzazz. It's the best event in All Star uh, festivity week. What'd you think? Can I channel my inner Kevin Kincaid for this? Yes. Segment? Who cares? Now I'm really <laughs> I'm not really a, a a big home run derby guy. I will say this though because I we fancy ourselves as as betting folk here. Yeah. You can't have controlled, legalized markets on these events and not have a definitive answer as to what actually happened. So that's my biggest takeaway with the home run derby. Do I care that that Albert Pujols beat Kyle Schwarber in the opening round? Not really. Do I care that Juan Soto won the home run derby? Not really. I don't care if it was staged, rigged, fixed, whatever. But if you're going to have DraftKings ads in the middle of the thing, then you got to have you got to make sure that there's proper integrity involved with the event. And I'm not sure that there was last night. And I think if I were betting on that event and I didn't win, I'd be pretty pissed off this morning. Well, as a guy who had Juan Soto and Kyle Schwarber plus 150 to make it out of the first round, I was pretty pissed off. And I know, I understand, you know, big thing here crossing broad is nothing burgers and who cares and whatnot, but you're exactly right. When you have DraftKings ads and whatnot, and you're making money off of these partnerships, do you go back to the out system? Do you stay with the timing system? Because I, I like the timing system. I think it's better. We Ooh. don't need to sit here and watch Bobby Ooh. Abreu hit 30 home runs or watch Josh Hamilton hit or uh, Julio Rodriguez probably would have won on forever if they would have let him there. Do you I mean, what do you what do you do? I think that you you can do the clock the way that, that they are right now, because what you don't want is you don't want guys taking pitch after pitch yeah. and, and slowing down the action. So you like the the increase in the action. But if you're going to regulate this event like you, you've got to make sure that everybody's playing by the same rules i mean how many times did you see it last night where you know one pitch would get snuck in at the end as the clock expired mm-hmm. and you're kind of looking at it going like should that count you know was that clean was it out in time like what are the rules and if if we have clearly defined rules then let's follow them and watching that last night it just felt like pure chaos across the board yeah no it did i mean there was uh I was looking at the film and we obviously we had that tweet that went viral about Kyle Schwarber um, getting robbed. And I was reading some of the comments and it does look like 17 never went out. And Ravage goes, that's 17. Then he goes, that's 18. And then the and then the the uh, counter just kind of stops. And they actually messed up the count for Juan Soto in the final round, too. Well, even the Juan Soto round at the end. I mean, he probably hit like two or three extra home runs <laughs> at the end of that. And then I think they counted it like as a 19-18 winner. And you're like, he hit like 21 home runs in that final round. So yeah, what if someone has yeah. the over there? Like, what if it's like two, I think it was like two sixty and a half home runs. Like, what if someone has the over and they lose it because they didn't get to 20 or 21? Yeah. This kind of leads us to that to that uh, age-old question. You'll have to have Anthony Sanfilippo on at some point, who Bob and I both suffer through hosting shows with. But like, you know, he's Mr... <laughs> You know, sports betting that's can't the, be that's the thing that, that drives we'll, we'll keep a tally that drives that, that drives change in sports. But like, think about it. What we're talking about here isn't about what's best for the viewer. It's not what's best for the players themselves. It's not for bragging rights. It's not for what is arguably the greatest skills competition in any professional sport and most famous uh, skills competition in any sport. What we're talking about is fundamentally changing and setting rules and setting the way that uh, home runs are calculated based on the advent and the continuing introduction 
of legal online sports betting in two different states. It can be really problematic, especially for a lot of these sports books that go out of their way to sponsor specific teams, leagues, have sports books in stadiums. If they can't trust Major League Baseball to get this kind of thing right, they're going to be the ones to catch blowback. Nobody's going after Major League Baseball because they're they're over missed because ESPN couldn't count it. It is interesting. I got one other thing to, to kind of put a bow on this. All these dorks on Twitter that are like, well, that's what you get for betting on the home run derby. I'm sorry. People bet on everything. They bet on tennis. They bet on golf. They bet on summer league basketball. Of course they're going to bet on the home run derby. It's like the only event of the day. It's probably the biggest event of the week. That's what you get for betting on the home run derby. It's a big event, a big spotlight's on it. Bet on the home run derby, but just be able to bet with some confidence. That's all. So what happens? What happens tonight if the All Star game goes nine innings and then they have the home run off derby? Yeah. <laughs> Are we going to get another call, Ravage that, Eduardo right? Perez on the on the home run derby? Yeah, they just jump in mid broadcast. <laughs> that broadcast. I mean, the half screens were terrible. They would they would take away the shot. They would be three swings behind. I know it's hard to do it live and everything, but it goes back to when Bryce Harper won it, and uh, it was that whole thing that. Uh, Bryce Harper's dad didn't get the pitch out in time or they didn't let the ball drop into the stands in time. It's just such these convoluted rules that either make it uh, rules that we can all follow to the human eye or don't let it, let us bet on it at all because we can't bet on things in Pennsylvania like the NBA draft. You know what, though, on the flip side, we're talking about this right now and it's they all win. over Twitter and there's controversy and, you know, the argument that as long as people are talking about it, even if it's not necessarily positive press, it's good press. And so – that event has received a lot more juice and a lot more carryover this morning than it otherwise would have had. And so, you know, maybe credit to them for that. The I haven't got my refund that, like, yet. You're looking at, you're looking at what, a, a one-day turnaround, depending on how this goes. Everybody wants it to end in a home run derby tonight, so that might be, like, the the positive for ESPN. But, like, this isn't the same as saying, you know, day one of the NFL draft was terribly set up, and then you could take that feedback and then immediately show on day two of the draft, we heard what you said, we've made these adjustments. It, it doesn't work that same way. It, it's a shame, um, but at some point, you know, I think this is going to lead to them going back to the out system where we're going to watch guys take five or six pitches between at-bats or, you know, between swings, and that's a shame because this does make sense. Like, this is a good way to speed up – the, uh, the home run derby, and to also make the, it interesting. The Jeter documentary didn't start till 1045 last night. Like, who the hell scheduled that? Sorry, go Russ. Was that the first time that that's been on? Yes. The 17-part yeah. okay. Derek Jeter documentary yeah. on ESPN? Yeah. I liked the first episode. I stayed up and watched it. Um, he's just, I don't know if he's interesting enough to have a seven-part series about him. I mean, he's also got Jordan um, to, to follow up on, and Michael Jordan is one of the best. I will admit this. I was a Yankee fan growing up in the early, uh, the late '90s, early 2000s. Um, I did root for the Yankees in the 09 World Series against the Phillies. I'll admit that. Wow. Yeah. Oh I love, I love Jeter. I love Posada. I love Mariano. I love Pettit, Mussina, all those guys. But you know what? Sometimes it's like the prodigal son. You got to return sometimes. And I came back, and I came back to the Phillies. And now I'm going through ten. I'm going through ten years, eleven years of no. Yeah, playoffs. so the Phillies went out and signed like Marlon Bird in 2014, yeah. and that brought you back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Darren Ruff coming up. That was yeah. that was exciting. Darren Ruff was what brought you back to the Phillies. Yeah, Cody Ashy. I was a big Roof. Cody Ashy guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Cody so, Ashy. Yeah, so the the, the, the I think it'll be good because it's kind of like nostalgia and stuff, but uh episode one was okay. You know, it's got a lot to live up to. Um good news though, 
And I know, you know, this is good for the Phillies. Last guy to win the home run derby, who was a national the next year, he became a Philly. So, well, Bob, would you, would you find enough hate in your heart for anything to deny $450 million? <laughs> he's worth, he's worth $500 million. So, okay. I mean, you know what's crazy though about baseball and and any other sport where the ink dries on that contract, and as long as he shows up, he gets that money. Like that is a substantial amount of money to let you just push off for another three four months and just let fate take its course. So it is hard to not you know take that money. That's the big thing with Mike Trout. Like I know that Russ has the uh, Mike Trout's a coward take, uh, but yeah, like crazy. when you get offered that money, the ability to sign it right away and just be done with it and lock it in. It's a pretty big deal. So I think Juan Soto knows that that organization, the best of days is probably passed for the Washington Nationals. I'd be a little bit skeptical about tethering myself to them for 15 years or whatever it's going to be. So I don't necessarily blame him for it, but man, that takes a deep breath and a lot of trust to, to let that roll by. Juan yeah, Soto has the, uh... massive cojones, massive huevos, like something that Mike Trout doesn't have. I hope Mike Trout enjoys living off in irrelevancy on the West Coast where nobody watches his games, nobody gives a shit, because he do- no one cares. No one knows. Mike Trout's the greatest thing. Nobody sees Mike Trout play. He's Connor McDavid. Well, actually, he's a less talented Connor McDavid in his sport. And who cares? The guy that everybody likes on his team, Shohei Itani, is the one that gets all the attention now. He's it's a just less... Like he, he just put a, himself... He's a less ahead. accomplished Connor McDavid? He's a less talented Connor McDavid. He's less talented. David is like a three-time MVP. He's the best generation. He's the best generational talent. You can make the case that like McDavid and raw skill is the best player since Gretzky. Can you make that case for Mike Trout? Is is Mike Trout the best player in the last forty years? You know when you're growing up, there's like talking dolls with the strings, and you pull them and they say things. Like Ross has like like he's like a troll. Like the Allen Iverson step over was overrated. Mike Trout overrated. Like uh, who who else? Derek Jeter, not a winner. That was those those were. I mean, what has Mike Trout done though? I don't. This is Bob's fault. He's the one. I wasn't going to bring up you know Mike. Wasn't going to bring up Mike Salmon, Mike Halibut. You know. Anthony Listen. Sanfilippo loves loves Chuck Fletcher. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. That didn't work out well. Uh, here's, but here is the thing. Like, I'm not on the complete 180 of your take, Russ. I am kind of right in the middle of the whole Mike Trout thing, where it's like, yeah, I understand taking that money. Don't get me wrong. You're living in Southern California. It's awesome. You're done by October, so you can go watch Carson Wentz, or you can go watch Jalen Hurts um, in your mm-hmm. in your front row seat and whatnot. But then you catch a video of his kid wearing Philly's pinstripe pants yesterday at the, uh, at the all-star game. So now it's just like, what are we doing here, man? You, you want to be the Eagles, Eagles, uh, Eagles, uh, ambassador, uh, the, the, the biggest fan, the most famous fan there. You want to, you know, spend your, your summers down the Jersey shore and Millville and everything. Like just Jacker, request a trade. My helmet? <laughs> yeah. Like just request, request a trade already. There, like, like, there, there are two things, though. There are two things, and I don't fault him for either. As much as I, you know, say that he's a coward, like, there, there are two things at play. One, can anybody blame him for wanting to live on the West Coast? No. no. There, there is not a single soul who lives out there who would rather come back to the Northeast and have to deal with four seasons. None. The other thing he gets is he is absolutely Earthquakes. beloved. He's still, oh, that's true. He's still beloved by this fan base. He comes back here, 
and plays like dog shit. Or he has an Albert Pujols thing where he goes from the most dominant hitter in baseball to a shell of himself or even to like 60 or 70 percent of what he was doing out there. You don't know that. And if that happens, then he becomes, you know, up there for one of the biggest, you know, bust contracts in the history of professional sports. So, like, I don't blame him. I just think that, like, you can't flaunt this whole, like, idea of being the Philly guy, have the opportunity to go to Philly and then be like, nah, I'm just going to stay here instead. Okay. Counterpoint. He wins his fourth MVP and now he's the most beloved cold figure in Philly's history. We could all play this game where it's like he could come be a bust. He'd come be awesome. I just don't like it that he just flaunts all this Philly stuff. Philly, Philly guy, Philly guy. And, you know, the pizza sucks out there. Bagels suck out there. Earthquakes, wildfires. Like, awesome. Like, the West Coast is cool. But besides the wildfire that happened in Jersey, like, we don't get that. We got we got all that out here. And that was a that was because some asshole lit it. Those ones out there because of the sun. What do you think? You want you struck out Mike Trout. Um, what do you think about all this? <laughs> I did not strike out. Mike yes, you did. You did ever, you're so fucking humble, Bob. Against Mike that's how you got. You're that's so how you got humble. hired a crossing bride. You had that on your resume. Struck you're out so Mike humble. Trout. You do know, and I always say this, that if you're between the ages of, I don't know, 25 and like 38, you somehow played against Mike Trout in high school, even if you didn't live in New Jersey, like anywhere in the tri-state area, anywhere in that age range, you somehow played against Mike Trout. With AAU, it could be the whole Eastern Seaboard, but you struck out Mike Trout. What do you think about the whole Mike Trout stuff? Mike Trout is, I think, nine years younger than I am. So (laughs) I I look at it. I mean, listen, Mike Trout is is wasting away out there. The Angels have not had a winning record since 2015, I believe. And there's always that that tweet meme out there that's like, Shohei Otani did something that's never been done in the last 108 years of Major League Baseball. And Mike Trout is 24 for his last 27 with 14 home runs. And the Angels are on a nine-game losing streak. I mean, it's the same thing every single year. And they actually got off to a fast start this season. And you thought, all right, maybe they'll finally be relevant. I have to imagine at some point there's a breaking point. Maybe he doesn't come back to Philadelphia. But at some point, if you're going to be one of the greatest players of a generation, you've got to win. And, like, that's always going to be a mark against him. And I, I in a way, I respect it that he's committed to the same team throughout his entire career. It's not the NBA where you're just jumping from team to team every single offseason trying to form these super teams. But, like, it will count against his legacy at some point. And, Kyle, like you said, man, like, I kind of agree. Like, I am a little bit of a hater in my heart. Like, I watch these games on Sunday afternoons, and there's Mike Trout wearing his Eagle stuff, and he's getting a touchdown handed to him. And you're like, dude, just – Come back. Like you could you could win multiple championships for this city. You and Bryce Harper could be the, the greatest thing in the last decade of Major League Baseball if you would have come here. You opted not to. That's fine. It's your choice. But yeah, there is a little bit of a what if about it for sure. Well, here's another thing. John Middleton unloosens a little bit of buttons on that shirt. Goes a little shows a little chest hair. Is he open up? Is he open up the shirt for Ron Soto? You're all over him. You're all over him about like the he's hair. a dork. You, who high fives like this? Like this? He went. He, that's a guy has never high fived in his life. There's a video of the Eagles in the NFC Championship game yep. against the Vikings, and he's in the box with Jeff Lurie. And like you can always one thing I will say about John Middleton is the guy wants to win. He wants the yeah. Phillies to win, and he's he's a hardcore Eagles fan. Like you can see like this raw emotion from him. They like they score the touchdown, they they're going to the Super Bowl, and he's like a crazy man. His hair is like whipping around, and he's like, oh, like he's yeah. not. I respect that. So maybe a little bit deep on the on the V's and, and okay. maybe a little deep on the polos at times, but 
I respect John Middleton, man. The guy's the guy's going for it. He's putting his money where his mouth is. I I, I can't knock the man. All right, you think you're like three buttons hey, you heard down, here four first, buttons Bob, down right uh, now. You think we're, you think we're you three hear, buttons hey, down Kyle, or four buttons down? Did you hear that, down? Bob? Three, three buttons down, I think. We're three buttons down? Go ahead, Russ. Bob respects a deep V. Heard it here first on the Crossing Broadcast. Yeah, you should you should have seen the uh, the promo uh, picture we put out for him today. That V was deep. I'll tell you that. Um, all right, so I guess, I mean, you, you we could be honest. Like, for the second half, Phil's, you know, what do you think they need probably at the deadline? I mean, you can't finish as as, as – you can finish better, but you can't finish as really good as they did. They went in, they swept the Marlins down in Miami. That never happens. What do you think at the deadline we're looking at for the Phils? Yeah, listen, the Phillies are a flawed team, and I think there's going to be a lot of nights where you're kind of questioning, like, can they do this? Are they going to get there? Um, I'm genuinely um, pretty optimistic that this team is, is going to make the playoffs, and, and I'm typically not that way. I mean, I kind of fancy myself to be a, a negative guy by nature. I look at this team, though, and I, I think that they are committed in terms of payroll. I think that they are going to make some moves, and we can talk about what those moves might be, try to be quick about it. But I also just think that the competition in the National League for that final wild card spot is, is weak. You know, I'm not terribly pressed with the Giants. You look at run differential, if you're a believer in that. Phillies are almost twice as good as the Padres in that regard. Obviously, they'll get back Fernando Tatis Jr. at some point. Um, I'm not totally in on the Brewers. I have questions about their offense. And I think that we've seen what the Cardinals are. I mean, I don't know that you can look at St. Louis and say, yeah, hey, listen, they're definitely better than the Phillies. So if the Phillies do what they need to do here ahead of the deadline, they get back Gene Segura, they get back Bryce Harper at some point late August or early September, I think that there's a really good chance that they they finally will get to the postseason. In terms of what they need to do, uh, I, I think that they have to be really creative and kind of keep all options open. If it were me, I think that they need to add offensively at center field. They need a left-handed bat that they can platoon with Matt Veerling. Matt Veerling's done a really nice job for this team. But listen, like Mickey Moniak is not the answer. And if you want to continue to have the argument about Mickey Moniak versus Odubel Herrera, you're wasting your breath. We know that neither player is a long-term solution, not even as a platoon option. So I think that that's where you improve your offense. You hope you get your injured guys back. And then Zach Eflin. Listen, like I'm looking at this thing and – I like Zach Eflin a lot. I actually think he's a pretty good pitcher. I, I probably like him more than most people, but the knee thing scares me at this point. And you can say, hey, listen, the rest of this rotation is pretty good. Why not Why not take your chances with guys like Bailey Falter and Christopher Sanchez? Let me tell you what that looks like, though. You're a game, a game out of the wild card, and you're in a rubber match against the Braves or the Mets in September. And you got to go to Bailey Falter to win the series. Like, you just don't want to do that. They've got to go out and find a better solution than that, add some depth into that rotation. If they do those things, I really do think they have a shot to make the postseason. All right. That was an awesome, awesome last question uh, to sign off on. Give, I knew I was up against it. I knew no, I was up against it. You crushed it. 1229, you came in. Dude, that's like a guy that used to be on 610 whatever, the radio or whatever, when you guys used to do this crossing broadcast on the radio. Hey, before I let you go, give me your favorite uh, Rush Joyce saying with the doll before you leave. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I wish I could have prepared for that. I'm not witty enough to come Here up you with go. Mike Trout is overrated. Maybe like, what else? Um, Anthony Sanfilippo? Oh, there you go. You got one. The Flyers organization needs to be blown up from the top. There you go. There you go. is ruining the Flyers. Ed Snyder is rolling over in his grave. There you go. Bob knows more about the Flyers organization than Scott Hartnell. (laughs) 
Hey, right, that's Bob. not very nice. That's glass half empty from you. <laughs> well, Shame. Scott, Scott Arnold just got himself a front office position for 2024. That's uh, that's Bob yeah. Wankel, the baseball bro. One of my favorite guests. My, my long-term running guests. You came on even before I was at Crossing Broad. So thanks, Bobby. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. We'll talk soon. All right. Whoops. 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 Should probably let the producer Well, whoopsies. Yeah, that's my fault. Well, whoopsie doopsie. Right. What do you think? Scale of one to ten, Bob Wangle's interview. Before we bring in our next Big guy. Big Bob. Uh, solid eight out of ten. Love the flannel. It's a good look. The hat, very solid. Covering up the hair. Um, nice job. Did uh, We're going to have to go back. We should have a producer go back in there and uh, try to get a screen cap of uh, when Bob opened up the shirt a little bit because he was just at the beach, and I'm pretty sure that I saw a bright white light coming from about his sternum, which is very concerning. I know that he was, like, broing it out with the homies at the house, but did he, like, wear a tank the whole time? Was he was he going, like, Hawaiian shirt? A lot of questions. Not a lot of I answers. Could see, Big I Bob. could see Bob having a, cru- uh, a crushing a tank top kind of farmer's tan. But you know what? Sex sells. For, so congratulations to Bob for uh, opening up a little bit on the chest a little bit. Uh, Russ, I don't know go. if you've met this guy. I don't even know if you know who this guy is. Our next guest coming on is Mark Henry Jr. He has a the show. The world's strongest man? The world's strongest man. You do know who he is. <laughs> Can we bring on Mark Henry Jr.? What's up? Uh, see, he does this all the time where he, he shaves the beard. He's a beard guy. He should always have a beard. And then he shaves the beard. And now I got to... Now I got to deal. Now I got to deal with this. I'm already. This interview is off to a bad start already. You need to card me to let me into the interview now. Like I, exactly. I, feel like I took off a couple of years. Exactly. How you been, buddy? This is uh, this is Rush Joy. Nice to meet you, Russ. Uh, how you doing, pal? Nice Your to meet you. Mic sucks a little bit. Can you get closer? Oh yeah. Well, of course this is happening. I'm on my. I had to switch last second from the laptop to the phone. Uh, connected the mic. How, how, any better? No, you 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 sound fine. Just talk just talk loud. Oh, okay. I'll I'll scream at you. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, Mark <laughs> has a show on Fox Philly Gambler. Give me the times and give me the days. Uh, every Saturday from eleven to one. Um, I, I think that that'll probably be expanding. Uh, come football season, it's on, on the weekends. But breaking news uh, for now. For now, yeah, yeah. You know, crossing broad. What are what is are this the show Mike Missinelli's talking about? Is this the yeah, big just, announcement? Yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah, you, I, I didn't want to let the cat out of the bag, but but you forced me to. Yeah. I mean, if, if I'm on Mike crossing and, broad, I've Mike got and, to talk about radio. Words, right? Yeah. Mike and the world's yeah. strongest man on the greatest show ever. It'll be like a like a Barnum and Bailey circus. Um, <laughs> no, go follow Mark because he's actually one of like, you know, we get a lot of gamblers on Twitter and stuff. People that always give their picks and everything. I've tailed Mark for a while now, and I always end up in the green. So that's my. That's my disclaimer for Mark. If if you can uh, follow him, Mark Henry Junior. Underscore. You still have the underscore? Yeah, still have the underscore. Someone Jesus. out there is is camping on the uh, just the at Mark Henry Junior. name, and you know I'll find I'll find them one day. All right, I wanted to bring you on because I wanted to talk to you about James Harden. I know you have a lot of James Harden takes. He obviously takes a pay cut. Kind of the narrative around him is changing a little bit. Is he a team player? He's in he's in the uh, the the gymnasium by June, which has never happened supposedly in his lifetime. Shams had to break that news. That's actually awesome when you think of it in that turn. But he takes a fifteen million dollar pay cut. And he has that interview and he releases a wine all at the same time, saying, "Hey, I told Daryl to go out and get the guys that he wanted to get and then pay me the rest." So it's funny because at the end of the season, I was pretty anti James Harden. I knew he was going to come back. Who was not going to opt into a forty seven million dollar 
um, contract. But I've kind of done a complete 180 on uh, on James Harden so much that I'm saying, hey, the hamstring was the problem last year. What do you think, Mark? So it's funny. Yeah, you won't find anyone more positive on the Sixers right now in the city of Philadelphia than me, or more positive on specifically James Harden than me. Uh, but it's funny that narrative really bothers me. The whole, you know, the hamstring was bothering him, and he was a shell of himself. Well, that might be the case. He was still the only player in the NBA to average over 20 points and over 10 assists last year. And he was also a part of the best starting lineup, if you look at the on-off numbers, in the entire NBA. Obviously, the playoffs didn't go how we wanted them to go. But in in all reality, you're not going to win in the NBA without your superstar player. Like, the Celtics wouldn't have won without Tatum. The Warriors wouldn't have won without Curry. None of these guys are – none of these teams are winning without these MVP caliber type guys. So people want to take – the heat series and extrapolate that and say, Oh, this is just another playoff failure. Well, well, I, I don't really look at that and blame James Harden for that or blame anyone else for that. Other than our bad luck with Joel getting hurt. And even with Joel getting hurt, we, we tied Miami two two in the games that Joel played in, on an extremely limited capacity. So I, I think people seem to forget what we were trading for James Harden to be. We weren't trading for James Harden to be 32 points per game. Houston MVP, James Harden. It's just not, possible to have that type of guy and be able to acquire him and add him to a team with another MVP guy. When we traded for James Harden, we didn't have a guy who could throw an entry pass. And then he came here, improved Maxi's stats, improved Tobias stats, improved Matisse's on-off numbers, and improved Joel's stats, all four of them offensively. And he was a legitimate point guard. He was a legitimate second option. And I think this whole entire narrative that you said is kind of being turned on its head would be completely different if Joel Embiid didn't get hurt in the playoffs. So I think everyone everyone in Philadelphia should be a James Harden guy right now for the move he made to allow us to go get P.J. Tucker and Daniel House with that money he sacrificed. Are you, are you part of the James Harden fan club? Are you Harden season on uh, on Twitter? I mean, it's, it, it's funny. Like, before Harden got here, I would have said Harden is one of the players in the NBA. I probably had, like, the least hot take on or the least opinion on. I just was always kind of like, oh, he's a very good player. You know, some people hate him because of his play style. I don't, doesn't really bother me. So I never really had a take on him. But when you watch him night in and night out, I think the stuff that he does for other people, if you're not watching him closely, I, I think that it gets kind of lost in the shuffle and people just want to see him, you know, shoot 40% from three and a- average 30. He averaged 35 years ago. So I think that's what people want to see. I don't mind having a 10 assist guy who's going to average 22 points per game. Like we have the superstar. We don't need the superstar, James Harden. We need the guy who's going to supplement the superstar. We need the guy who's going to be the second guy. And what I always point to, it's like Giannis and the Bucks won that title because Giannis two years ago took his game to the next level and became the MVP that he was supposed to become in the playoffs. Who are the second and third best players on that team? Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, like neither of them are superstars. Both of them had bad games in that stretch run to that Milwaukee Bucks playoffs, but they're forgotten because they won the title and because Giannis went to that next level. As long as we all believe that Joel Embiid is a top five player in the world, an MVP caliber type player who can stay healthy in the playoffs, then I think we're in a great position as, as an organization. So, you know, I love the moves they made to kind of help out the fringes of the roster. But when it comes down to it, it's going to, B, is Joel good enough? Is Harden and Maxi a good enough second and third option? I think they are. Hmm. Do me a favor, take your earphones out while Russ asks this question, and then we will uh, 
We'll we'll see if your answer is even better. Go ahead, Russ. Put you on the spot. You I don't have even have a question. I, I'm just like I, I fundamentally disagree with the premise here. So I'm just trying to sit back and kind of soak it in for a second. I don't I don't think that the Sixers needed a, a 35 points per game James Harden. He's what three years removed from averaging 34 a game. But I think what people expected to see was something closer to a James Harden from Houston fused with the Brooklyn version, right? Because the idea of him going and playing with Kyrie whenever Kyrie felt like, you know, the earth wasn't flat um, was more of a facilitator. And that was fine. And that fit their style and that fit their system and that fit the overall team they had. The problem is that when you're Daryl Morey and you trade all of your depth or you trade so much of your depth, you trade away some of your best bench pieces. If you want to say that Seth Curry would have been, you know, a great six man. Cool. If you want to say that Andre Drummond would have been, you know, the best big man going into a playoffs that Joel Embiid's ever had backing him up. I'd agree with that. I'd say that's totally fine, but you move all those assets out and then you've, you've depleted your team of very vital depth. And that's why I think so many people were expecting Harden to be more of a scorer. If he comes in, say, say that trade doesn't go down and say Daryl Morey makes some moves along the fringes this off season brings Harden in as a free agent with a good bench, there wouldn't be heat on Harden going into this season, right? Because the idea would be, all right, he could be Brooklyn James Harden. He could defer to Tyrese Maxey, who went into the playoffs and like had himself a nice little, little go. The problem is that they traded so much of that depth. It just exacerbated a lot of the issues that the team had. And so then you're putting a bigger spotlight on James Harden. And then there's that misconception that he's still this elite scorer, and maybe he's not. But because of what you traded for him and what you ultimately ended up lacking in the playoffs, a good big man, another guy who can stretch the floor for Joel Embiid, who can create, create space off the ball for Tyrese Maxey to do what he does when Harden's not on the court. That's why there was so much heat on Harden at the end of the season. I don't think they gave up really anything for him. Andre Drummond was a worse backup center than Paul Reed was. If you look at the on-off numbers in terms of how we were with Embiid off the court and on the court, and Ben Simmons wasn't playing basketball. So really the only player that they traded for him in terms of last year that was helping on the roster was Steph Curry. And I think James Harden was remarkably better than Steph Curry was. Um, so, and the kind of the, the underlying on off numbers all say that. So I, I don't really, I never really understood the people that are, that are saying how bad of a trade it was and how much they gave up because I mean, they gave up some picks. Sure. But that didn't have anything effect on, on the roster last year and it, our backup center position improved once we stopped playing DeAndre Jordan, which was, you know, that's that was well, a stupid thing to do, of course. So, uh, and, and in the Miami series that we lost, we weren't playing Jordan. They were playing Paul Reed and besides the games that Joel was out. And by the way, when Joel's out, if we had Andre Drummond, that wouldn't have mattered. Like, we would have lost those playoff games with Andre Drummond instead of Joel. Andre Drummond was on the Nets who got swept in the first round, and he was unplayable in the playoffs like he always is. So, I, I don't think that they really gave up anything of value. I, I think people just I think there is a, a natural dislike of players like James Harden who cape for foul calls. And I, I think that that's a, a Trey Young thing, a, a James Harden thing. And I think there's a lot of players who kind of get labeled with that brush. And, I, I, you know, I think everyone in the league is caping for foul calls in one way or another. Some are more blatant than others. But the James Harden thing, and you mentioned that we wanted him to be more of that Brooklyn version. Um, and I think he pretty much was. He, he averaged two and a half less points per game. 0.7 less assists per game and a half of a rebound less. His true shooting percentage numbers were slightly worse, but not markedly worse. And then his on-off numbers were better. Like it, it technically, he had a more positive impact on the Sixers than he had on the Brooklyn Nets. If you look at the plus-minus of it all, so I, I think that the 
you know, I, I've become hardened Stan, I guess, which is a crazy turn for me. You're hardened season it, on Twitter. We, yeah, are, we know. But, That's your burner. But me saying that, like, the hard – and you're going to kind of scoff at this next thing. I'm kind of against the narrative of, oh, he's going to come out and he's got another level to, on reach and he's going to be a, a 27 points per game guy now and average 27 and 10. I kind of push back on that. I don't think he's a top 10 to 15 player anymore. I think he's in that top 20, top 25. So I, I – you know, I think it's totally just about expectations and it's about what you want James Harden to be. And if I look at James Harden as just needing to be a top 25 guy, just needing to be the second guy on a team, just needing to be a guy who averages over 10 assists and is really our only point guard option, I, I think he absolutely passes those tests with flying colors. Russ, your rebuttal? My rebuttal is just simply the the same general concept of what happens with a point guard that refuses to shoot a, a three pointer like a Ben Simmons. You could look at what James Harden was this past you know postseason and say it's the fewest three te- uh, three pointers he's attempted in a postseason series since I think fourteen fifteen. It's the fewest I think three pointers he's ever made in a postseason, at least going back to his OKC days. I think just part of it is when you look in the the grand scheme and if you like kind of you know take the macro view in the Kincaid style and say that none of it matters. But if you look down at like the micro, right, look at game specific situations, there were times that James Harden just would not shoot from deep. And it, I don't know if it's just because he didn't have his legs under him. I don't know if he just didn't have the base. And that was the whole problem was it was just a physical thing that he didn't feel like he can get enough lift. And so he just kind of abandoned his shot from downtown. But part of the problem is like when you go back and if you look at that last series, It just didn't feel like the killer instinct, like when he would have a a somewhat wide open shot or when he would have, you know, opportunities off the dribble, he couldn't blow past guys the way that he used to um, because he wasn't seemingly as willing to chuck up a bunch of threes. uh, Not saying you want you want him to be Russell Westbrook, but like the fact that he seemed a bit hesitant to do so kind of takes away some of the deception in his game that allows him to blow past defenders because you would bite a pump on a pump fake. If he doesn't shoot one for an entire half or he doesn't shoot one for, you know, 16 minutes of game time, well, you're not going to believe a pump fake, right? So I, I just hope that whatever he ends up being at the start of this season is a better version of what he was here. Because I don't think anybody would argue the fact Tyrese Maxey is a better player when James Harden is on the court. Tyrese Maxey benefits from the gravity that James Harden presents. That I don't think is disputable in any way, shape, or form. My concern is I don't need him to be 36 points per game, James Harden, but I do need him to have killer instinct. I do need him to continue to be a legitimate threat from downtown so that there is increased spacing. That's my only problem. And I like like James Harden. We saw in, uh, what, game four against the Heat? That's exactly what I was going to say. He he did that in game four. And he was terrible in game five and six. The entire team was terrible in game five yeah. and six. So I think that's less of a Harden issue and more of a team-wide issue. Maybe we figure out what happened there. I, I don't know. But if you take out those last two games, and I know that that's fun with numbers. I know that that's kind of filtering things out. He had two bad games. I, I'm not going to hide from that. But it, it kind of changes the entire narrative of, of the whole postseason because then you take out those two games and you have the other 10. And he, he made two and a half threes per game on 36.5% shooting. And he was averaging 20 and nine with six rebounds and actually like a steal and a block. And the true shooting percentage is pretty good. He's getting to the line seven and a half times per game. Like it's, it wasn't as bad as people remember it being, but the reason people remember it being that bad is because it's the last thing you saw. It's because it's game five and game six and people just have that drilled in their head. 
But the first 10 games were, were very good. I remember I tweeted after game four, I said, give James Harden uh, like $380 million as like a joke. Like I, I just, after game four, he had shown that he was everything we needed a guard to be to help Joel and beat out and to lessen the load. It didn't obviously come through in game five and six. I think that Joel, while being limited in games three and four at home, was at least able to coast off some of the stadium energy and just coast off, you know, just being back and some of the new freshness from sitting out game one and two. Joel was not that same guy in game five and six. And I think it permeated throughout the rest of the team. And I think as Joel goes, the team's going to go. Uh, so I, I do think that those last two games kind of do skew everything a, a little bit, in my opinion. Well, there there right. is like the, 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 the big issue, right? Maybe, probably, what I would say like was the damning thing for him is it was the only game, I think since game two against Toronto, that he attempted single-digit field goal attempts in the entire game, and he played more than 40 minutes in that game. He didn't get to the foul line a single time, and he got only got there three times uh, in game five. And so like when, when you're getting to that point where your team is on the brink of elimination and you start kind of doing the math of you know what the trade was and the guy that you dished out that was never going to play for you again, you say, well, what, what's one of the problems with Ben Simmons late in his tenure here? He didn't want to get to the line. And I'm not saying that Harden didn't want to get fouled. I'm not saying that Harden didn't want to get to the line. It's just he didn't. And so that, that extra, that added element of what his game is and that thing that pissed off so many teams, that first 10 or 12 games that he was in Philadelphia where it was just the constant parade of him and Joel Embiid to the line, when that goes away, especially in the playoffs, I think it fundamentally changes the, the complexion of what your team looks like and, and how effective you can be in the playoffs. And unfortunately, you do have to question you know, the, the way that these referees officiate this game in the regular season versus the postseason. Because you can't just fall off a cliff like that in terms of what you're calling for a player. And and I do wonder if some of the the coaches chirping throughout the playoffs finally got back and the ref said, you know what, we're not going to call ticky-tack fouls. James Harden's got to pretty much get mauled to get the calls. I don't know. I I really don't know. You're probably right. I mean, Nick Nurse spent his whole damn seven games or six games, wherever it went, just bitching about the refs. I just want to push back, though, because he was still top five. If you look at in playoff free throws and how many he was shooting per game, even with those those two bad games. And if you filter out, like I said, those last two games, he's shooting like seven to eight free throws per game, which is like a really high volume. Um, I mean, yeah, those last two games were bad. We also were like down by 25 in the first quarter of those games. So I do think that is going to change how hard someone is grinding at getting to the rim. And, you know, maybe we can have that conversation of maybe James Harden doesn't try hard when they're losing by a lot. But I, I don't think that it was anything more than us just getting blown out and the team kind of giving up like we saw with Phoenix in Game 7 against Dallas, like we've seen in a lot of situations when you get down by 30 early in a game and you kind of know what's going to happen. But yeah. he still had the – in Game 4, he went to the line 10 times. The two games before that, it was 7-8. and eight. He went to the line 11 times in Game 4 against Toronto in a game we lost, actually. But I, I think that, you know, it's all kind of – you can look at both sides of the argument, of course, but I think most of it is just the fact that it's the last thing we remember, and it's another yeah. playoff loss in the second round. Yeah. So, so then the question going around, is, we're probably going around in a circle. Yeah. <laughs> we're just yeah, well, we, the, we, the we question just, then becomes the the money that he freed up, the money that he was willing to walk away from, so that Daryl Moore could bring guys in. Do you think, or like, where are you at on PJ Tucker? Because I look at him and I say, from a from a mindset perspective. He's a perfect fit from a guy who can knock down a corner three that James Harden's going to set up a ton. 
He's a great fit. He's also 37. And that's a decent chunk of change to give to a guy who like, we're not talking about if he loses a step, we're saying half a step. He's dead to rights. So like, does this work in the short term? Because there's almost no chance that by the end of that contract, it looks like a good one. Do you think they can maximize what PJ Tucker is here for like, say the next two year window? And does it ultimately go down as a good signing for this team? Well, it, it, it'll all be determined on if they win or not, and if they make a deep run this year or not, probably. Um, the three-year thing, everyone's going to talk about, about it being a three-year deal. Once it's in the third year, it's an expiring deal, and you know those are really easy to move. So I, I don't even really consider the third deal that big of a problem. Um, I, and then you trade it for someone who can just waive them if they're a bad team. But the way I look at it is I kind of look at Tucker, Melton, and House being the five through seven guys on our team as just like, oh, two of them need to be really playable in the playoffs. Like, P.J. Tucker has shown in the last two years with Milwaukee winning the title two years ago and with Miami making the Final Four last year that he's been one of the five best players on a team that can make a really deep run in, into the playoffs. And we're not even really asking him to do that. Maybe be the fifth best player, but probably the sixth or seventh best player. And then DeAnthony Melton is the perfect third guard to put with Harden and Max. He can play in the off minutes that one of those guys are off the court. And actually, I'm more excited about Daniel House than, than P.J. Tucker. I think that there's valid concerns there with P.J. Tucker with the age thing he brought up. He could lose a half a step. I don't think he's going to be completely unplayable. And as long as that's not the case, as long as he can play 20 minutes and not kill you, I think the toughness and mentality that you brought up that he brings to the table is going to help a lot. And there's always that story of when he was a rookie in Toronto, they showed him the, uh, the, the video, the front office showed him the video of him on the sidelines, like sulking and looking negative and having bad body language and how he always says like, that completely changed his perspective on the NBA and how he wants to mentor other guys and he wants to help out other guys. Like, I think he's going to be a really valuable part of the team in terms of the off the field and behind the scenes aspect of things. But Daniel House is the perfect three and D guy to add to the team who's just going to stand there and chuck and he's going to be able to guard threes and fours. So I, I think all three of those guys, Melton, House, and Tucker, should probably play in that 23 to 26 minutes range. Like, I don't think any of those guys should be getting huge 30 plus minutes or anything. I think that that's the best five through seven we've had on a Sixers roster in my lifetime. So I, I think that that's a pretty good depth. And it also makes Matisse a lot less important. Matisse is no longer the fifth starter that's locked in at 25 plus minutes. You could play Matisse five or 15 minutes. and Maybe that defensive havoc that he creates is going to mean a lot more when it's more limited. Yeah, I think Daniel House is going to be really good as long as the pandemic doesn't come back and we go back into above when he tries to fuck a mate again. Well, you know, the rumor there, he took the bullet for Harden. That's that's the rumor, that it was Harden's girl and that Daniel House kind of took the bullet. Good teammate. That's why that's why Very good teammate. That's why, All right, I that's why Harden the, sacrificed, that's why Harden I sacrificed we, some money. I thought we got the horniest free agent on the market. We got the best teammate on the market. So I'm, I, you know what? I'm all in on Daniel House. Like, you need that kind of guy. You need that guy in your foxhole. All right, I know you got to go in a little bit. I want to, before we, before we stop this, great conversation, you two. Thank God, because I... I can't fucking talk basketball like you two can. Um, you have a, a agonizing story about uh, a bad beat about Schwarber last night. Tell the people. Yeah, I shouldn't even be wearing this shirt. I'm, I'm ashamed to, to be a Schwarber guy and a Phillies fan. But oh, I had, it's Rob. No, I know, I know, I know. But my thing is more about him not hitting 14-plus home runs in his first go-around. My whole betting strategy last night, I threw in you know a, a Schwarber to win the Derby bet for fun. But my betting strategy last night was to fade Albert Pujols. I took him under 18 and a half mm. home runs, and I took mm. him under under 459 and a half on the longest home run. That one cash, he didn't even hit one 440. The longest home run cash, that was my biggest play of the night. 
but Pujols hits 13 home runs in that first go around. Everyone we've seen. 12. Was it 12? Was it 12? It should have been 12. It was 13, oh, but it should have been 12. Was, they, they snuck it right past the goalie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The double yeah. zeros. I, 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 mm-hmm. I got you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had under 18 and a half on the home run total. And I'm celebrating after he goes. You know, I'm, I'm watching with some friends. The first six people that went, I think, all had like 18 plus or 20 plus, whatever it was. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, I, I hit both of these bets. I even start tweeting, like, I quote tweet my, my bet where I'm being like, both Pujols props cash, you know. So, you know, Mark, like whatever you want to. But I, I, didn't, I didn't send the tweet. Oh, boy. I, oh, you didn't. Oh, you didn't. See, but I did the same thing. I made a meme behind the scenes. And it was before Schwarber went. I think we both. We, we both yeah, ruined it for, for Schwartz, but keep going. We jinxed it. We, we absolutely jinxed it. And I, and I couldn't believe that then, you know, he gets 13 and then he ends up, even then still, he has to hit like six more to beat my, or seven more to beat my, my under in a minute, which he hadn't done in his first go around. And then Pruo starts getting hot in the swing think, off. It was unbelievable. Think, well, he changed bats during the timeout. Are we, we have a little Sammy Sosa situation. We had a juice ball situation, is what we okay. had in that swing off. They brought out the uh, they brought out the tennis balls to throw to, to throw to Pujols that they painted up. But yeah, I couldn't believe I hit that. I couldn't believe I didn't hit that. Like I had the tweet all ready to go. I had the celebration all ready to go. My whole entire like strategy was based in fading Pujols. The only reason I bet on Schwarber is because he was facing Pujols in the first round. And yeah. you know, the longest home run Pujols ever hit in his career was four fifty nine. Like that off of Brad Lynch. anything. Really? insane stat really? it only happened in like the last couple of years too oh. so it was 459 so that was the basis in my under 459 and a half it actually like 10 minutes after i tweeted that out and sent it out on the gambler account under 459 and a half DraftKings changed it to 451 and a half so and it still would have ended up hitting that under anway are they but peaking I the, are they peaking at the so fox moving, philly gambler you're moving the lines over there you're moving lines over there no, I, you sure? I did see other <laughs> i saw other people on it that are probably uh, a little bit closer to moving lines than i am but you know, I should have dropped an absolute nuke on that, and I shouldn't have messed around on any under eighteen and a half home runs and stuff like that. I should have, I should have just dropped the nuke on the uh, on the length. Well, here's the good news: we'll get you out of here. We really appreciate you coming on. The good news is that Russ is not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. We have a whole season of James Harden. I could probably just unplug the mic next time and let you guys just talk about James Harden because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of talk about. There's going to be guy took less than fifteen million. Well, guy's not producing. Guy paid, got Daniel House paid. Well, guy still isn't producing. There's going to be a lot of people. People are going to, people are going, he's going to be a very polarizing figure, I think, James Harden in this uh, this season coming up. Yeah, absolutely. He, he always is. It's going to be like every conversation from about November to, to April is going to be about either James Harden or Jalen Hurts. That, that's where I'm at right now. No. Like every conversation is just going to be, uh, is James Harden good enough to be the second guy? Is Jalen Hurts good enough to, to be the quarterback in 2023, it's gonna. I'm gonna just, you know, want to blow my brains out. But me and Kyle had to do a podcast through the entire uh, Ben Simmons trade negotiation. So Phillies it, 500, it, Jalen Hurts, is he the guy or not? It was the 2020, 2021 was the worst sports year for Philadelphia. But Mark, thank you, buddy. We'll have you on anytime you want, and uh, good luck with Fox Philly the Gambler. Plug that one more time. What time? What days? radio show every Saturday uh, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Cool. Awesome. That's Mark Henry Jr. Go follow him at Mark Henry Jr. Underscore. The underscore. It's like a tilde. It just that it underscore. Just me. I feel his pain because um, at Russ Joy is taken on Twitter and it's owned by some guy named Donald. 
and <laughs> I have tried to reach out to this person to be like, can I, can I, can I snag this, this handle? Like, what are we doing here? No, can't. I got, I got one more thing before we go. If you got time. Yeah. Sure. I know you're making I, money for listen, CV. I have all the time in the world for you. Oh God, you are a, you're not only a scholar, you're a fucking saint. Um, I'm a joy. <laughs> I can't believe I just laughed at that. <laughs> all right. One third of your hosting mm-hmm. party mm-hmm. on Snow the Golden. Yeah. We haven't even plugged that yet. Go follow and Sam Flip. The only Rush Flyers podcast. It's, uh, Jody Mack called it the best Flyers podcast. Which he's not wrong. When Ant was on WIP last night. Um, Scott Hartnell getting a little bit mm-hmm. in the mud with uh, with one third of your uh, podcast. Uh, Bundy, which is is funny because oh, um, I don't, we don't have the we don't have the tweet handy, and when I don't know if Craig can get that from behind the scenes, but don't work too hard, Craig. Um, the funny thing is, Anthony Sanfilippo writes an entire piece just undressing the organization. Bundy sends like a very lukewarm tweet, and he's known to be the guy who who isn't afraid to uh, go after them. Uh, and Hartnell, you know, kind of calls him a bad teammate. Calls him, you know, he must have been a lot of fun to play with and everything. What were your thoughts on uh, on Hartnell carrying the water for Dave Scott and Comcast? Well, it's not su- it's not surprising. Um, <laughs> I I don't have a night. Listen, I I've gotten into this like wanting to be more of a of, of a peacekeeping person, uh, not getting into trench warfare. Uh, I, I really, I just I don't like lobbing grenades as much as I used to on just, on Twitter. You just, you're just I, such I really. A- Here's what I'll say. You're going to tell me you grew as a person. Sorry to cut you off. I, I clearly haven't. I'm standing on a thing right now, even though my desk adjusts, just to make myself look a teensy bit tiner, uh, you know, taller. Here's, here's the problem, right? So Scott Hartnell's not good at what he does. And that doesn't, listen, and, and I, I mean that in the nicest, in the nicest, I mean no disrespect. <laughs> but, but realistically, Scott Hartnell's not very good at what he does in the studio for NBC sports Philly. Um, and, and this is known and they, they tried him out at NHL network. It didn't work. He came here. Um, he is a guy who goes down as being, you know, a, a well-liked player here. Um, everybody could identify with him. If you've ever put on ice skates and you've fallen over, he does it. And he was an <laughs> NHL player. Um, he, he was fun. Uh, he, he, he's not a, a bad hockey player right he he was he was fine he's not an all-time flyer he's he's a guy who does a job who goes into a studio to a pre and post game show that not a lot of people watch and like he does his thing the problem is that like maybe you haven't grown as a person (laughs) it's just it but like what are we doing you know like i look at it and i go okay what's what's the value add here right like bundy has said some things in the past on twitter that have flamed the organization right yeah. And and most of the time, or many of the times, rightfully so. But like that was a relatively innocuous tweet, and here to go it after right here. it, and to it go just... after it, it's like, you know, love your positivity. Team playing much of your whole career for man, it would have been fun to be your teammate. Sick of a glass half empty for you. Okay, so let's be real here. Let me break this down. Positivity about the organization. I get accused of being negative now. Anthony calls me a troll. Anthony also wrote a piece that sounded like I wrote it, the one that he tore down the organization. The same shit I've been saying about the Flyers for a year, he finally came around to. It's fine, and I'm happy that he's finally, you know, come around on it. But, like, 
there's not a lot of positive to talk about. I will say this. The Flyers in the last few months have done a much better job of trying to reach out to groups that they had previously maybe ignored or that they might not have connected with as well. And they've done a lot of community initiatives that I will always laud them for, trying to make the game more accessible to you know kids who can't afford to, to play the game. And, and they've kind of rekindled what they're doing with Ed Snyder Youth Hockey. Hold on, bring that tweet back up because I have to break this yes, thing sir. down. I will say that like to, the, to that end, the Flyers are doing better than they had been. But there's not a lot of positivity around the team. The team sucks. The team hasn't gotten better. Chuck Fletcher lied and people cried. Like that's what's happening here. Fletcher and Dave Scott go out and call it an aggressive rebuild and, and sell the people on this idea. Now that can go away. Like they sold people on the idea that this was going to be a quick turnaround. You brought in the coach who's going to bring in, you know, this winning culture, who's going to hold players accountable, who's going to like lift this team beyond the sum of their parts, right? He's going to do that. And they're going to go out and they're going to they're going to add elite talent. They identified the need for elite talent on the team. It was the wrong plan all along. The plan should have been to tear this thing down. But the plan should have been, if you're firing Elaine Vigneault in December, Chuck Fletcher should have gone as well. And this should have been a, we're going to play this rest of the season out. If you want to bring back a Paul Holmgren or a Bob Clark to run the team for the trade deadline to deal Claude Giroux, whatever. I'd put Dean Lombardi, since he's the only guy who's actually won a damn thing who's associated with the top of the organization. But, like, whatever. They should have done that. They should have found a new GM who brings in his coach, and you set a two- to three-year plan in place. It didn't work with Ron Hextall. Fine. It has not worked with Chuck Fletcher. Not fine. But the idea that you're going to let this lame-duck GM who has proven time and time again that he is the dollar general version of Brian Colangelo who gets his job because his daddy did it first, and he's, like, built good relationships, the rest of the league laughs the idea of not being able to move a one-year, $7 million James Van Riemsdyk contract to facilitate bringing in an elite talent like a Johnny Gaudreau, that is a joke. That is something that should happen to a first-time GM in this league, not to a guy who has built good relationships. It's bullshit. And so Hartnell is totally off base because there isn't a lot of positive to talk about when it comes to this organization. And there isn't going to be a lot of positive to talk about until they jettison the GM. Your problem is that, once again, Who's going to run the show? Because if you jettison uh, Fletcher, the working understanding here is that you'd then elevate Danny Briere. We all like Danny Briere. Nice guy. Has, like, done the job. Has worked his way up. Has, you know, acquired new skill sets through different positions they've put him in. But, like, unfortunately, what Anthony wrote is correct. Collateral damage. Everybody's got to go. So for Scott Hartnell to then, like, just pick one Bundy tweet that's really not that incendiary and to, like, get on a soapbox, it didn't work the way he wanted it to. Look at the responses to the tweet. It's all after Hartnell. You might have one or two people who say that, like, Bundy is this, like, you know, disgruntled former employee, but most of it is, like, that you're off base here. Like, this sucks. Think of all the people who had season tickets, who re-upped their season tickets, who have reached out in DMs to me and Ant and Bundy and to Snow the Goalie about... I re-upped my season ticket plan because I heard the owner of the team, I heard Dave Scott and Chuck Fletcher say that this was going to be an aggressive retool. I re-upped my tickets for thousands of dollars. How do you answer to those people now if you're the Flyers and if you're Spectacore? Because you either have to have a conscience and be like, you know what, we got to make this right to these people, or you feed into the narrative of like them being you know, the big evil empire and you say, screw them. I don't know what you do, but like there have been people who have been impacted and it, it, it just sucks. So, you know, Hartnell can do that. 
I don't know if it saves his job. Again, there are other people who have played for this team in the past and who have played in this league who could probably come in and do better. I would tell you that Colby Cohen, who used to be here, did a better job. I could tell you that I think Bundy did a better job. I could tell you that I think Al Morgani could probably just do a better job doing it. I think there are a number of people in the city who are currently employed and currently unemployed and are working for Jacob Media and are working for the Fanatic WIP and, you know, 97, all of them that could do a better job at that role. So I just, I, it was weird. It was dumb. It was, it was, was a dumb. swing and a miss. Hartnell down. That's, what what hole do you think Dave Scott was on when he called Scott Hartnell asking for the favor? Do you think he just uh, I don't, hit his I don't tee shot on floor? I don't think that's what it was. I, I genuinely think, this is my guess, I could be totally wrong because I don't know Scott Hartnell's uh, contract situation, nor do I care. But based on the time of year, I would say he hasn't heard anything yet. I could be wrong. I assume that he either hasn't heard because NBC Sports Philly does a terrible job of talking to their uh, their employees, especially the ones who do pre and post game uh, live. Mm. There's a chance he hasn't heard anything, and he thought that that would ingratiate him to some of the higher ups. Ultimately, it's not going to move the needle a bit. Um, and I, they're also I trying know. to find and two more for him. Eagles post game right now. So I don't think Flyers post game <laughs> or pre game is on their radar right now. No. So he, I mean, just look he at could it, look very at it, look well at be hanging out there until September looking for a job, you know, or maybe he has another year left on his deal. I don't know. It's just, just it was I, a weird I, thing to put out at this point of the year. It's just strange. It doesn't make sense. There's no value add here. Like, yeah. what are you doing? You, you look at like you look at D gun and you look at the breakfast on broad people. You look at Katie Emmer who moved from Minnesota and was told, hey, sorry. Yeah, you're not going to come back. And I know a lot of this stuff was was COVID and whatnot. But then you look at long term communications directors, long term marketing directors, 23, 20 plus years. They're doing the same job every day for Comcast when they when it was Comcast Sportsnet. And they're just unceremoniously yeah. let go. And unfortunately, sometimes and with a lot of these places, I know it's a competitive market. It's not handled like a top five market, though. NBC Sports is some of the worst programming you could have on a major market. I mean, you look at it. It's 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 uh, uh, Danny Palmel doing Sportsnet Live or whatever the hell it's called, or Amy Fadul or Taryn, and then you got a, an infomercial for the nonstick pan for for seventeen hours yeah. until Tyrone comes on in the afternoon show and future best show ever and whatnot. I just can't believe that we used to have uh, shows like Daily News Live. Um, that show that Rube did back in the day, the sticks or whatever the hell it is. I, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Well, I'm not I don't know the was. best with the my Daily, New, NBC Daily News Live. Like this is this is this is the problem, right? And like here's your like nostalgia factor, right? Sports Rise. When I was a kid, you would wake up and you'd have Neil Hartman or Ron Burke welcoming you in the morning, going over sports. You get halfway through the show and they had like the behind the scenes interviews, right? They had the, the, um, up at like Lehigh at training camp. You get that in the second half of the show. And then you get like a little mix of like college and maybe some high school sports at the very end before the Pico power play of the day. Like that's like, that is a memory that is ingrained in the mind of many people who are in my age bracket. Right. And then you'd go off to school or you'd go off to work. And then five o'clock every day was appointment TV. You would sit down to listen to like Stan Hockman, be the crotchety older guy on the set. You'd listen to Phil Jasner talk about the Sixers. You would like you 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 would actually appreciate what Michael Barkan does because he wasn't trying to be like a carnival barker. Like you had all that and that was a good show. And and then like you had sports night and then you would watch the pregame show because it was it was quality content it led into the to the game and then you would want to be there to hear what the what the well, you know, respected people on postgame had to say. 
it is so far from being appointment TV. I have not, I, I don't know if any of the people, and this, I don't mean this in any disrespectful way to any of the people who do like Sports Rise or Central or whatever. I don't watch any of it. I haven't watched it. I don't know who's there anymore. I genuinely, the only people that I know are there are still Barkan yelling at clouds. Um, Taryn, Hartnell, um, Morganti, Batalico's there, Fadul. Other than that, like, I don't know who's there. And like, they killed the network. They killed it. Like it was a. And even if you want to say, hey, Lenny, I bet you, I bet you, anybody who who evaluates anybody who evaluates regional sports networks, if they had looked at this 15 years ago and they had looked at what Comcast Sportsnet was, they probably would have said it was either the best or like a top three sports channel, regional sports channel in the entire mm-hmm. country. Now it is a, it's not even a shell of itself. And if you go out of town, this is one of the fun things to do when you go on vacation. Watch the local regional sports network and tell me if it's any better, worse, or the same as NBC Sports Philly. I guarantee you that just about any market you go into, it is going to be better than the product that you have here, which is a damn shame because it shouldn't be this way. And yet it is. Yet, unfortunately, it is. Yeah, and you could even say, like, oh, you know. Their their best property is, like, the radio simulcast. Like, that's it. It it brought – yeah. You know, and like you could say like linear TV has kind of like transformed and like obviously people are doing yep. this differently now. Multimedia has to make a digital show. Sorry. Like how, 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 how long did it take for us to put this together? Two weeks, you know, and, and we have what? Zero dollars behind us. It's, it's just like, it's that it's like make a digital show with your talent and everything. It's just, I feel like they just, they just keep bringing in warm bodies until they want to. They want to play with another toy, and they just go, "Okay, hey, listen, yeah, your contract's not renewed. Okay, your contract's not renewed." It's, it's interesting. It's an, it's a really interesting thing because you're exactly right. I went down to Florida during the uh, during the Sixer season, and Bally Sports is down there, and I the halftime show was better than anything I've I've heard in a in a, in a while yep. here on TV. It was, yeah, um, yeah. That's, That's all good. I got for today. It's okay. It's a shame. It it is a shame. And it I'm is. sure that and there are people yeah, who we're work not even hard, shitting. We're not even shitting for the network that are that are trying. It's not the talent's fault. It's management's oh. fault. And you go back to like the stories that Kincaid's written. Like it is very clearly some management people's fault. And people who used to work there that I have had conversations with, and not just ones that I host a show with, have indicated multiple times communication is piss poor. Accountability is not there. The, the timeline and the, the way that people respond or don't respond to things is unacceptable. When you know that kind of stuff, it just adds the color that you need to kind of identify why it's such a mess there. And it's a shame. It shouldn't be like that. But here we are. Oh, it should. And here we are. on the di- And that's why we're here at Crossing Broadcast. And you can subscribe and you can also hit that little thumbs up. Make the algorithm hum, baby. Hum. Hum, baby. Hum, baby, right. baby. Hum, hum. Hum, hum, hum. All right. Well, Russ, I'll see you Thursday. Thanks for coming on, man. Oh, okay. Some of the some of the most concurrence we've ever had in our in our uh, illustrious one month on this on this platform mm-hmm. we call YouTube. So hit subscribe. Great time. Hit the like button. It was a great time. Thanks to Mark Henry. Thanks to Bob Wankel. One more for the road. Anthony Sanfilippo is a stooge. That wasn't me, Ant. That was Russ. <laughs>